0: When Seymour passed away, God greeted him at the pearly gates. Are you hungry, Seymour? God asked. I could eat, Seymour replied. So God opened a can of tuna and reached for a chunk of rye bread, and they shared it. While eating this humble meal, Seymour glanced down into hell and saw the inhabitants devouring. Huge steaks and lobsters and pheasants and pastries and fine wines. Obviously not a kosher place, but curious, but deeply trusting, Seymour remained quiet. Next day, God again invited Seymour for another meal. Again, it was tuna and rye bread. Once again, looking down, Seymour could see the denizens of hell enjoying caviar and champagne, lamb, truffles, and chocolates. Still, Seymour said nothing. Following day, mealtime arrived and God opened another can of tuna. Seymour finally couldn't contain himself anymore. Meekly, he says, God, I'm grateful to be in heaven with you as a reward for the pious, obedient life that I led. But here in heaven, all I get to eat is tuna and a piece of rye bread. And in the other place, they eat like emperors and kings. Forgive me, O oh God, but I just don't understand. Ah. <sighs> God sighed, let's be honest, Seymour, for just two people, does it pay to cook? (laughs) Well, I guess the point of the story is that most people really don't ever really live up to their own standards of Righteousness, let alone living to the ideal that we fantasize of what a real tzaddik, a really righteous individual, is supposed to be like. But then again, we had this summer. This summer was one of those special seasons in history when we all share rare opportunities to glimpse moments of greatness. It was, as you recall, officially the 30th Olympic Games in London. And it provided us with an amazing summer filled with drama and tragedy and triumph We watched in awe as one remarkable athlete after another from America and China and Great Britain and Russia, Germany, France, Italy, Jamaica, Croatia, and even Uzbekistan won gold medals in a stunning array of competitions. So I can't think of a better, more relevant subject to share with you today than my choice for the greatest athlete of the year. There are so many powerful lessons that can be learned from the competitions of world-class athletes. And my choice for the greatest athlete of the year this year is no exception. It's a person who stood out from the rest of the crowd, and an athlete whose extraordinary accomplishment set this person apart from even, even other extraordinary athletes. It's someone whom I am proud to hold up to all of you as one of the most outstanding role models of one of the most important qualities that any athlete, or frankly, any human being, could embody. If every child who dreamed of winning Olympic gold, or who dreamed of conquering a nearly impossible athletic challenge, or who simply wanted to excel at his or her chosen sport, and through training, hard work, achieve greatness, were to emulate this athlete that I have in mind, it would truly be a far, far better world in which you and I would be living. Okay, so can you guess who my choice might be for the greatest athlete of the year? You can if you talk to people who already heard the sermon. Otherwise, you might think it's Michael Phelps, perhaps, the single most decorated Olympian of any country ever in the history of the Olympics. Or perhaps Missy Franklin, the 17-year-old who shocked the Olympic world in her debut by winning five medals, four of them gold, not only setting an individual world record in the 200-meter backstroke, but becoming the first American to win the race in 40 years. Or perhaps it's 16-year-old Gabby Douglas, this summer's newest America sweetheart, who became the first black gymnast ever to win the all-around competition in London. Or maybe it's not an Olympian at all. Maybe Roger Federer, that indomitable tennis player who this year won his seventh Wimbledon title, and has won 17 major titles along the way to the history books, or, or who? Well, So before I share my choice for the greatest athlete of the year, I figured I would give every one of you a chance to share your own choice as well. So I want everyone to think for a moment, if it were up to you, who would you be choosing as the greatest athlete of the year? and I'm gonna give you a chance to share it with me. I'm gonna to count to three, and when I get to three, I want everyone to just shout out whoever it is that's your f- favorite pick for your favorite athlete of the year. Ready, got somebody? Okay, one, two, three. Yeah, no, no, I listened. You should have heard what it sounded like up here. But there was hardly anyone who picked the athlete that I picked. Maybe nobody. I'm sure you did. That's what happens when you give a sermon three times. But anyway, here it is. After careful consideration and after studying the great athletic accomplishments of the Olympics and of the entire last year, here is my choice for the greatest athlete of 2012. And his name is Nadav ben Yehuda. I should go this way, Nadav ben Yehuda, because it's Hebrew. I know most of you have never heard of him. So I'll tell you who he is if you haven't, and then why he's my choice, and I'm sure you'll understand. As you might have guessed from his name, Nadav ben Yehuda is an Israeli athlete. Actually, he's an Israeli mountain climber. And this year, he decided to try to achieve that which is the goal of every serious mountain climber in the world. And that is, he decided to climb Mount Everest. Now, most of you, unless you're mountain climbers yourselves, probably have no idea really just how difficult a task it is and how few human beings have ever actually made it to the top of Mount Everest. At 29,028 feet, Mount Everest is the tallest mountain in the world. And there are over 220 recorded fatalities. And those are just the ones that we know of. It's actually impossible, literally, virtually impossible, to really know just how many human beings over the years have tried and failed, lived and died trying to make it to the top of Mount Everest. 29,000 feet. Didi and I were in New Mexico. When we hit 10,000 feet, she fell asleep on the spot. So 29,000 feet is something. And the record books are full of stories of athletes who practiced for years, literally, and then realized maybe halfway up the mountain or three-quarters of the way up the mountain that the task was just too difficult and the weather was too brutal and they were forced to give up or die. Who knows how many tried but slipped and fell or lost their way, had to turn back, or froze and died along the way. Well, despite the odds and despite the obvious difficulty of the challenge, Nadav Ben Yehuda was determined that this year he would do it. He would reach the very top of Mount Everest. He was an Israeli, so he began by practicing on Israeli mountains, Mount Tabor and some of the other mountains in Israel. But if you know anything about Mount Tabor, you realize that compared to Mount Everest, it's barely more than a hill. So then he had to move on to a little bigger challenge. He went to Europe and he practiced on the mountains of Germany and Austria and Switzerland. These are serious mountains high enough to be real challenges. And then finally, after he had worked and worked and worked, he finally decided he was ready and he joined up with another of other athletes from different countries and started the long climb to the top of Mount Everest. Now, Nadav ben Yehuda is only 24 years old. So if he made it, he would be the youngest climber ever to reach the top of Mount Everest. As you might Imagine his climb captured the imagination of many in Israel. And practically all of Israel was cheering for Nadav ben Yehuda to succeed and to reach the top, when on last May 25th, 2012, he began his potentially historic climb. Well, the climbers got together from that group. They decided among themselves not to use ropes to tie themselves to each other. It was their option. Instead, each one would go his own way, at his own pace. And then they flipped coins and drew lots, and it fell to Nadab ben Yehuda to bring up the rear. So they started up the mountain. Well, Mount Everest has a deadly reputation for a reason. They had barely climbed a few hundred feet up the mountain when, as quick as a flash, the weather totally changed. It was instantly a freezing cold day, a howling wind shook the trees, blew directly into the face of the mountain climbers. Snow blinded their eyes so thoroughly that they could only move literally one step at a time. It was absolutely brutal. It got so bad that several of the climbers already decided that the weather conditions were just too brutal, the terrain was just too rugged, and so they gave up and went back down the mountain. They turned around. And who could blame them? Nobody. But Nadav ben Yehuda was an Israeli, made of stronger stuff. And so he just kept moving slowly and carefully, one step at a time. One step at a time. Holding on to whatever rock, climbing in any way possible, one step at a time. Slowly, slowly, slowly slowly, that's how they say it in Israel, slowly, slowly up the mountain. Finally, there he was, within sight of his goal, a mere 300 yards at most to the top. This was the moment that he had been waiting for and training for his dream of a lifetime. He could literally see the top of Mount Everest within his reach. And then, all at once, he stumbled. And when he looked down, There, lying on the ground, was the body of one of his fellow mountain climbers, Adin Armak of Turkey. Adin was unconscious. He was lying on the ground without any gloves, without any oxygen, and like so many others before him, unconscious, silently freezing to death. Nadav realized that several other climbers, whom he had been following up the mountain, had obviously walked right by the freezing body of Adin lying in the snow, and it just kept on going. But that was not unusual. Their goal of reaching the summit was so close, too close to give up. And frankly, they all knew that two climbers had already died that weekend, and others had just taken the chance that you take when you climb Mount Everest. But when Nadav looked down at this particular climber, Adin of Turkey, Yes, he was unconscious and clearly was freezing to death, for sure, but he could see he was still alive. So, what would you do? What would you or I do if we were in Nadav ben Yehuda's shoes? The goal of his lifetime, literally right in front of him, he could see it before his eyes. And what had happened to the luckless Turk was, after all, the risk that every climber knew he or she was taking when they started. And to be honest, There's no way I can really know, never having been in that situation, what I would have done. You know, you work for years to prepare to climb Mount Everest, and now you're within sight of your goal, and you you see a climber lying on the ground unconscious, probably already dying anyway. What do you do? Abandon your goal and the fame and the fortune that that achievement might bring? Well, I don't know what you or I would have done if we were in Nadav Ben Yehuda's situation, but... Here is what he did. First, he took off his gloves and he put them on his fellow climber. Even though by doing so at that altitude, he set himself up for certain frostbite. And in fact, he eventually did get frostbite on four of his fingers. And then he took off his oxygen tank and put it on Adin, even though he knew the risk of being up so high without oxygen. And then he bent down and he lifted his fellow climber and he put him over his shoulder And he turned around and struggled back down the mountain carrying Adin for nine hours until he reached camp number four. There he found a rescue station where people jumped immediately to give them some food, some drink, and give whatever first aid they could give to Adin Armak. And then those rescuers took both of them, Adin and Nadav, the Israeli and the Turk. The Israeli and the Turk and help them both make their way back down the rest of the way to the foot of the mountain. Somehow, somehow, after all those hours, miraculously, because of that selfless Herculean effort of Nadab ben Yehuda, the two of them both survived. Now, we may not really know what you or I would have done, but we certainly know what the right thing to do would have been. And evidently so did the entire country of Israel. They knew too. And that is why when Nadab ben Yehuda returned to Israel, never having made it to his goal, never reaching the top of Mount Everest, there was a ticker tape parade for him in Tel Aviv anyway. And when the parade was over, President Shimon Peres presented him with Israel's Presidential Medal of Honor, the highest honor that Israel can give to any civilian. So why do I tell you this story today on this most sacred day of the Jewish year? I share it with you because I'm sure that nearly everyone here knows the names of, you know, Michael Phelps or Mark Spitz or Sandy Koufax or Sean Green, Hank Greenberg and maybe Red Auerbach. We know those names because they're famous Jewish sports heroes. And of course everyone knows the names of Sports heroes like Tiger Woods and Muhammad Ali and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, Wayne Gretzky. All of these legendary athletes have won eternal fame because of their extraordinary talents as baseball players or golfers or basketball players or football players or hockey players or boxers. But these are the high holy days. This is Yom Kippur, our annual day of awe. And on this day, We don't measure greatness by athletic ability or intellect or talent. On this day each year, we gather together as one spiritual family, inspired by countless generations of our ancestors who have wrestled year after year for more than 4,000 years with the ultimate questions of life. On this day, we look into the mirror of our lives and we ask ourselves what our true values really are. And that is why my choice for the greatest athlete of the year has nothing whatsoever to do with Olympic gold and everything to do with the golden rule. I believe that the name Nadav ben Yehuda is a name to remember. Nadav ben Yehuda is the athlete of whom I am most proud as a Jew. Nadav ben Yehuda is an athlete worth emulating. Unlike all those other famous athletes, in fact, Nadav actually failed in reaching his goal. He failed in fulfilling his dream. He didn't win a multi-million dollar contract. He hasn't signed one endorsement deal. But on this most sacred day of the year, it's Nadav ben Yehuda, whose life represents a life well-lived, where the content of his character is a shining example of Jewish values at their finest. No, he didn't make it up to the top of Mount Everest but he sure made it to the top of my list of athletes most worthy of being called a mensch. It was Albert Einstein who famously said, try not to become a man of success, but rather try to become a man of value. Try not to become a man of success, but rather try to become a man of value. What greater example could any of us have this year of a man of value the Nadav ben Yehuda, whose courage, whose character, selfless commitment to the highest and noblest in the human spirit is the greatest lesson that any of us could possibly learn. This is what our ancestors of the Talmud really meant when they taught that saving one human life is as if you have saved the entire world. It was certainly the entire world for Adin Armach and his family. Nadav ben Yehuda understood, as I so often say, and you've heard me all say before, that these are God's hands and these are God's eyes and this is God's heart. And for God to act in the world, we, we have to act in the world. Every morning, there is a traditional Jewish prayer that describes God as Somech noflim, who lifts up the fallen. Somech noflim who lifts up the fallen, like Nadav ben Yehuda, who without hesitation lifted up Adin Armak and brought redemption and the gift of life itself into his world. We have it in our own hands and in our own eyes and in our own hearts to redeem the world in which we live through every act of kindness, through every act of generosity every act of compassion that we bring into the world, no matter how large, no matter how small, one day at a time, every day of our lives. No, I'm sure that every one of us here probably won't be faced with the dramatic and life-changing moments of decision like standing on the summit of Mount Everest, choosing between literally life and death for another human being. But really, every single day of our lives we choose We choose over and over and over again who we really are and the true quality of our character by everything we say and by everything we do. That is why we gather together here each year, to remind ourselves that we can rise to the occasion, whatever it might be. We can choose caring over indifference. We can choose kindness over callousness whether it's climbing a mountain or climbing the ladder of success in your own chosen field, or simply struggling our best to live our lives navigating the complex emotional minefields in every family and every intimate relationship I've ever seen, this year is another opportunity to choose the very best version of who we can be. At home, at work, at school, with every relationship we have, every day of our lives. So I encourage you, I urge you to keep Nadav ben Yehuda in your mind and in your heart this year. And this year for you to be the person you were always meant to be as well. Amen.